This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. It's often hard to know where to start when it comes to documenting progress on farm in the sustainability space. But we know that it's an important tool to be able to demonstrate and be more transparent around how farmers and growers are protecting and enhancing their natural and social capital. I first heard about Adam and Laura Cullen when I was sent their sustainability progress report, and I was genuinely blown away by the detail, structure and ambition in their report. I'm your host today, Katie Rodwell, and this week we're going on farm to a dairy farm in Northland to get some insight into how Adam and Laura have tackled their sustainability journey. I absolutely loved catching up with these two. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, Adam and Laura, it's a pleasure to have you both here with us today. Welcome to Growing Our Future podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Katie. You're actually our first guest where we've got two people on, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. Hopefully it's good. Yeah, hopefully we can bounce off each other and it'll be fun. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Love it. Um, so to get us started, could you just maybe introduce yourselves and give us a bit of insight into your farming career and maybe your current operation? We're Adam and Laura Cullen, farming in a little settlement called Araroa in the upper stretches of the Kaipara Harbour. Yeah, dairy farming, split calving, 420 cows across 220 hectares effective. And we have been in farm ownership since October 2016. Okay, so let, let's start with the fact that when I first heard about you guys, your bank manager sent me your sustainability progress report and I was so impressed and I was like, oh my God, I need to speak to these people. What an awesome progress report. And I was just keen to talk to you about what was the motivation in putting that together and just to get some insight, I suppose, into your sustainability journey on farm and kind of what inspired you to begin that journey. So yes, let's start there. So when we purchased the farm in 2016, we really felt a sense of responsibility come to us as now the owners and and custodians of the environment. And we felt that we purchased an environment that we produced food off, not just purchasing a farm, if that makes sense. And so we kind of went through how could we improve the environment that we're now custodians of, how could we produce the most nutritious food possible and kind of went back right back to our values and, and things like that. And for us, the answer really lay in the soil and that's now what we were owning and where kind of everything started for us. And so our sustainability journey really started with looking at our soil and going from there. And I guess um, leading up to that, we had purchased the family farm, which was a business model that encompassed the share milking business plus a farm ownership business on the on the land as well, which was a very production focused outcome. And we can be vulnerable in sharing. We took on a lot of debt, close to forty dollars a kilo of milk solids when we first 
took on the farm across family debt as well as bank debt. And so continuing to grow infrastructure and replace machinery wasn't really the strategy we wanted to go down, recognising that there were certain pressures on our environment that we we saw through the share milking model, which uh, was based around cows and inputs. And so, yeah, we sort of unwound our thinking all the way back to finding the system that really reflected the environment, like Laura said, that we are farming and that we want that we would like to take forward and leave in a place for the next successive business to carry on from. So. That, yeah, really did bring uh, soil to our attention and the fact that, you know, we recognised we were farming a very heavy clay soil, which was prone to, you know, the wet winters and the droughts or the dry summers and those fringe shoulder parts of the season that were probably, we were not getting the, the full benefit of the resource that we were farming. Really, I guess um, soil's a big uh, intimidating topic, but really important as far as how we see the true potential of our farm coming through and our profitability. So how did soil become like the first factor for you to consider? Because, I mean, obviously any farmer is really conscious about the environment in terms of, you know, that's their asset that's producing profit for them essentially. So, you know, they're conscious about what they're doing on it. But I mean, I don't want to make wild generalisations here, but I wouldn't say really understanding the soil is something that all farmers do in the first instance. So, like, how was that so important for you really early on in that stage? What probably um, we recognised in sort of looking at where the opportunities lay for us as farm owners, I guess, was almost in the in the pasture harvested coming through. We weren't going backwards, but we certainly weren't harvesting more, and and that was probably a, a bit of a concern. So then, literally, just by digging a hole and and really looking a little bit more at our root depth, our grazing management and winter management, those sorts of things, we could start to see there was no worm life. The soils were compacted, the roots were shallow. We were using more nitrogen fertilizer to try to achieve the same yields, and a sense of just I describe it as you know the farm felt somewhat suffocated when it came to heading into next season confidently and achieving a better yield from it. So, yeah, that's what sort of brought that focus or attention to us. And then, you know, as well, I guess it was uh, also around the growing of crops on the farm. We were cultivating 20% of the soil a year, each year to regrass and grow our maize. And really the performance of the new grass species, that really didn't feel like we were shifting our investment there to a level that we were happy with. So, you know, we were just asking ourselves questions, I guess, as far as how we were achieving things and, I guess, prepared to explore other options around techniques and um, and listening to other ways of doing things, really. And so were the drivers, I mean, obviously the, the main driver, just picking up on what you were talking about earlier, Laura, the main driver was to make sure that you can leave the land in a better, a better way than when you found it. Were there any other drivers that inspired you to kind of dive into the kind of sustainable lens when farming? I think it's always been part of our values and as people all our lives, the love of birds, the love of trees, just going how could we make this a space that we love being in. So there's that aspect as well from environmental. And then for us, it's got to, you've got to have a really robust 
financial and governance business model because if we're not robust in that sense, then we're not going to achieve anything. So so that for us is part of about being sustainable as well, that we're sustainable financially and really driving our business and our ideas on that to be able to achieve everything we want to achieve across people, environment, and the financial side as well. Okay. And so you've obviously produced this progress report. Where did that idea come from? How did you kind of tackle it? I'm keen to kind of dive into that because it's not something that we see heaps of. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people out there that are doing it, but it's probably something more from a corporate environment that people do in terms of like their progress reports and ESG reports. So really keen to get some understanding as to what the drivers were behind that. I was introduced to triple bottom lining at university, so 20 years ago. And I've had a corporate career, so my background is global marketing and PR. Um, So it was always something that I was really interested in in the corporates that I was working for as well um, and always got involved in the philanthropic aspects of what we were doing in those corporate roles. And so it was just kind of natural to me that our business would be doing something there as well I'm also quite data orientated, so I um, I like being able to measure things, mostly from a sense of achievement. So we can be going, yeah, we have actually made a difference with that as well. So we were already doing these things. We were already thinking in this way. I would probably come home quite energised sometimes about having dug up a cover crop, for example, and... Um, would show me photos and, and, and would, would tell her how many worms I'd found, you know, and and so there were little stories that I'd probably bring back in or we'd discuss around the dinner table, and then all of a sudden, you know, I guess Laura's understanding of where to capture that was quite uh, a good place to kind of build it, that um, framework to then sort of be able to look back on and reflect and and sort of see the progress that we've been creating along the way. And so... I like yeah. efficiency. So I wanted all these things that we were doing and all these wins that we were having in terms of the amazing results Adam was getting from the cover crops and things in one place. So we knew if somebody asked us, oh, you know, a question about something, we knew where to quickly find the information. And so I was just mind mapping because I'm a visual person, mind mapping down all these different things we were doing and and stories. And and I'd had the idea about writing a sustainability progress report, but I couldn't kind of find a format that sat, like it felt that it fitted farming and it fitted our business. Like I was mind mapping around sort of profit, people and planet. But to me, there's so much more than just profit in terms of, of governance. Then I was also, well, where do animals fit? because animals are so important for us. They're living and breathing as well. So I I just keep trying to play around with things and I was finding different models and things. And then I actually listened to your podcast with Julia Jones on ESG and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it in the ESG model. I liked the fact it was that the headings of governance felt more appropriate than profit. And environment is what we were talking and the, the words we were using already as opposed to planet and then social covered more of our thoughts around that as well. So I listened to that podcast in the car one day and I went home. I was like, right, that's the the, the structure we're going to do. And I just started writing it. And 
kind of just trying to formulate everything and putting it under headings and then sort of pad it out from there and, and, and just collect everything into one place. For us, we've designed it to sit alongside our financial statements. So our year end is end of March. So we've done our report for 2023 so that um, captured everything to through to the end of March. And it's just a, a place to go, yep, this is where we're at. This is what we've done. And then I've also put onto it future initiatives as well to kind of keep ourselves accountable on going, well, what do we want to achieve? And, you know, it's farming. Everything's not just this year. It's this year, five years, 10 years. So we can be going, yeah, we, we, we've actually achieved that. And it, that feels really good. And everything's in one place. And having it sit alongside the financials, I mean, it's all really great when sort of the profit's there and you're, you're achieving big things with planting and some of the real, the big milestones, but it's also actually quite nice to have something else that sits alongside your financials as a pillar that when things are a bit tighter, okay, the spending might not be there, but actually you can reflect and say, well, you know, we have achieved this and we can actually go and enjoy that. And that North Star is still there in terms of we can't define ourselves by this financial year, but we can actually help take that energy of what we're trying to achieve into another year or, or the five-year, 10-year plan that you might have. That is a document that sort of gives you that um, reassurance and and a little bit of um, reprieve, I suppose, from just the, the negative of a tough season. And I think also it's just such a great way to be able to demonstrate the benefit that you have put into the social aspects of your business or the natural capital beyond financial capital. Like there's so much more that, that makes up a business. So it's it's a really awesome way to be able to demonstrate to the likes of your bank around what you've been doing and how, you know, in a tough year you may have said, well, like this is how we've made our business way more resilient, you know, in a social respect or with the soils that we're working with or whatever it is. It's like a really neat way to be able to do that. When you're looking retrospectively at your financials because they're for last year or last season, we're often so in the now, we're, de- we're dealing with so much of what's happening on farm and in our business right now. It's easy to forget the wins, but also some of the reasons of, of why things are the way they are in the financials. So for us having this to sit alongside, it's a document for all our stakeholders that we can go, oh yeah, that's because... We had Cyclone, Gabrielle, in February, you know, and that impacted, you know, we had to spend quickly and suddenly on things that weren't budgeted for to get ourselves back up and running to repair the damage and, and things that suddenly hit that financial year. So it's a way, it's just, that's an example of saying that's why that is coming through in the financials. It's, uh, you know, something that hugely impacted every aspect of our business in terms of our social with the whole team's, you know, mental well-being, as well as the impact it had on our environment and the and huge impact it had on our cows, and then the impact it had on our financials as well. So it just rounds out a story and documents it in a place that's it's telling more about what's happening in our business than just numbers. Yeah. Okay, let's explore in a little bit more detail some of the key areas that make up your sustainability report. I'm keen to sort of talk about the environment a little bit more. We've sort of covered the soil piece, but 
because it's really topical, obviously, emission reduction, I'd love to kind of talk about your perspective of that. I mean, there's obviously quite a bit of pressure and challenge, I guess, on the industry around emission reductions. How are you guys handling that? What's your perspective on it? So we have a vision for our business and our environment, and it's to be profitable, carbon-neutral food producers for the health of the environment and the community. Obviously, we see carbon neutrality as something that's going to be even bigger in the future and really looking at what our customers and our consumers are expecting of food producers and us being one of them. So for us, it's about being carbon neutral in two ways. So being biologically carbon neutral as well as financially carbon neutral. So our aim is to be able to deal with in our own environment, in our own property, our own border, the carbon that has been emitted by producing the food that we are. So there's the biological aspect for us, and then there's the financial aspect as well. So how can we be diversifying our farming model in order to change or add income streams to our model to be able to offset carbon regulation that's coming in. So for us, looking at what we're emitting currently, putting plans in place to reduce it, and we have already reduced that over the last couple of years, and then looking at our environment and how can we evolve our environment to increase biodiversity, put wildlife corridors in, and for us, that's retiring 30 hectares in order to plant into forest to sequent carbon, but also add biodiversity, as I just said, and those other um, winds as well. So that's our strategy going forward. Part of that as well is, is re-establishing a wetland. That's kind of the big picture of, of where we've, we're starting off in, in terms of our carbon story. We are fortunate that our property lends itself to using some of these avenues, I suppose, to be able to influence what our total net emissions will be. We're sort of doing our best to create a bespoke farming model which reflects the strengths and weaknesses of our property. So we've got the potential to retire land and as we've discussed, sort of use different cropping techniques through cover crops which are helping reduce cultivation and sediment nutrient loss, but also just maintaining the integrity of our soil structure which is so sensitive to mass disturbance and that for us is not only creating environmental benefits but you know reflecting on the cost of the feed grown on farm and our end loss um, numbers as well that come through so it's a continuing evolving discussion and journey I suppose but we've made a start in areas where we feel like the low-hanging fruit are and um, just working down that avenue, yeah. And, and it's not a short-term story. It's long-term. We love to live in a place that has more forest, more bush. We love the feeling of it. We love looking at it. So that suits us as well to be creating an environment that we love to be in. And yeah, we've had to do our research. We use the latest science that's out in terms of our measurements of what we're emitting as well as what different trees in our environment are going to be able to effectively process 
and just make a start and evolve from there. We're, we're quite happy to always be really looking at things and trying to innovate what we're doing environmentally in order to take the latest learnings and the latest science and things in order to improve what we're doing. So it, it's not a, a, we're doing this and that's the way forward. It's it's about evolving and being curious all the time and working out what we can do using the latest information that we have. Yeah, and you know, trying to upskill our knowledge. And again, it, it's, it's knowledge that is probably unique, almost unique to our own property. And we see that as a real opportunity as well, capturing, you know, whatever science and information and data that is out there to be able to make relevant decisions to our property. And that's going to be only a big a strength for us, you know, in terms of fine tuning our farming system. I've got so many questions I want to ask, but I'm conscious of time. But one question I just kind of want to talk about a little bit in a little bit more detail, Adam, you talked about the relationship between gaining environmental benefits in terms of less nitrate leaching, but it also helps your cost. Sometimes it's hard for people to see that you can support the environment and it doesn't necessarily have to be a cost to the balance sheet. Can you talk about your experience there? I mean, sometimes there, you know, like there will be times where you you might be spending more on the environment, and it's not helping the bottom line. But there are also lots of examples where it is. So, could you just talk a little bit more about what your experience has been in that space? A really good example of that for us is our maize cropping technique. I think it probably comes back to the soil conversation, but. Um, Really, we see uh, in our situation uh, the maize crop being a 12-month project and really um, being able to use the diversity of plant species to, I guess, reset and um, encourage biological activity. With our high cation exchange capacity soils, we've got a lot of potential phosphate, for example, available, but not always in solution at any one time. So a real diversity of plant species are helping to make that available through uh, the winter period and also a huge amount of mineralizable potential mineralizable nitrogen uh, for the crop succeeding crop which will be the maize in springtime so we're we're sort of uh, really reducing our nitrogen inputs through the maize yield which is a good example of reducing the cost of growing the feed, as well as, yeah, leaving that soil structure integrity well in place for our permanent pasture, which I guess our goal is to be able to increase it to have harvestable yield over the subsequent 10 years that it's in place with the less inputs. And I suppose as well, it's as much um, without going down the track of just reducing, say, synthetic nitrogen fertiliser, it's... It's as much as trying to uh, use it in the way that it's intended to be strategically. We're really trying to make sure that uh, the response to nitrogen is there to make sure that the cost of feed is, is a bit more measured, avoiding you know high nitrogen areas like campsites or really wet areas like puggy, swampy, wet areas of the paddock, not using nitrogen in those areas. So, And it just helps what we do use go further which, you know, ultimately does a better job at the return that you spend on the product. And for me, it's about minimising waste because waste is an input that we've paid for 
that isn't being used. Like emissions are waste because it's energy that the animal hasn't utilised is making sure an animal's so good at it of, of not, they're not being waste around any fertiliser inputs or anything like that. It's about reducing all our waste. So we the money that we are spending is on inputs, they're doing what they need to, where they need to, and there's there's not anything being wasted or going elsewhere. So it's being really, really mindful, as Adam has shared, about where things are being used and how much we're using and getting the best results from what is being used. Hmm. Okay, before we wrap up, two questions. First one is, other than obviously being really kind and doing a podcast with us, are you sharing your journey and experience with other farmers? Yeah, we are. And as well as our stakeholders, I think that's a key thing. So our bank is obviously a key stakeholder with us. Adam's family is a key stakeholder as well. You know, they were on the land before us. And then it is sharing it. We've done some workshops on farm around some of the, the practices that we're doing for a couple of different audiences as well. One was with Dairy NZ, so a real farming audience, and then one was through our local community garden called Grow Papadoa. So it was a, a different audience again, but interested to see what was happening in agriculture and Amazing to see what's happening in the community as well and, and, and the two-way share of, of information at those workshops. Amazing. So I think, I mean, if you've listened to a few of our podcasts, a lot of the commentary that comes in, particularly from those in markets, say that we need to tell our stories better. And I think that starts in our own backyard. And so having the courage and vulnerability to share what you're doing on farm is, is so important in helping kind of weave that story together. Yeah, and we feel that, that we feel we all have a responsibility as farmers and food producers to share what and how we're producing food because it's something that we all consume. It's up to all of us to be able to share what we're doing because I think all farmers are really proud about what they're doing and, and that how they are producing kai for everyone to enjoy and sustain us. And so it's up to all of us. Having pride and sort of being able to welcome anybody that drives up the drive onto the farm and and show that pride and tell that story and not feel like we're ducking and diving trying to avoid the next regulatory inspection or whatever it might be um feeling threatened by you know somebody dropping in and you know criticizing or threatening our livelihood so building that resilience part into um, the social side of what we're trying to achieve is is really important and um i think there's a degree of everyone feels a little bit threatened around what's in front of us, but I think there's also huge passion out there to um, work through it and we've got a lot of support to do so, which is exciting, I think. Yeah, and huge opportunity. There's a huge opportunity to share what we're doing, but also to evolve what we're doing and be so innovative. That's what you know, New Zealand farmers are renowned for, to be innovative, and, and that's what we're all continuing to do. Before we finish, do you guys have any key messages or takeaways for farmers and growers listening? In terms of a sustainability report, progress report, I'd say just do it. Whether it's a one page that you're just jotting things down under some different headings or your mind mapping or if you want to write a whole report, I think the benefit for you 
is the greatest in terms of recording and then also take the time to celebrate what you're doing because that gives such a sense of achievement too. So just give it a go. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a huge undertaking. Just take the time. Love it. Adam, any last words from you? No, I was just reflecting on, you know, looking out a bit further and, you know, to 2050, for example, and what does farming look like? And I don't tend to think of that far out without reflecting on the people who are going to be on the land managing, owning. And in all honesty, it's going to be people who today are 40 years and younger. And so they're going to bring through so much energy, knowledge and different perspective that I think the industry is in really a really good space to move forward with. You beat me to it because I usually ask, always ask my guests what you think the food and fibre sector is going to look like in 2050, but I think that's a great perspective. Laura and Adam, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and thank you for your vulnerability because I know um, it can be a little bit daunting sometimes coming on screen and recording your perspectives and your journey, I guess, in your farm system. So really appreciate your insights and everything that you shared with us today. Amazing. Thanks so much for having us. It was great to challenge ourselves to do something a bit different. And we, we really enjoy the um, Growing Our Future podcast. You do a great job and there's some really awesome content there. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.